Good morning, Ivan Ress. Good to be here with you. And uh, I got a couple of refugees from Roosevelt Park back in the day. Hello, Roosevelt Park Nation. <laughs> and uh, also, I, I play basketball on the other side uh, on, on the weekends, and I play with Vern, and uh, he's right there. And the last time I was here, I was a little hobbled because uh, I kind of tore my right calf muscle right across the street. So this brings back PTSD in all of its form as I'm standing here. But from the Word of God, we will read from John chapter 1, verses 29 through 37. Let me know you're on the same page by saying amen. 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 Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is good. Let your word do its work in our lives. Let it speak to us. Put your speaker in the background and shout the cross that your word will come forth and accomplish its purpose in our lives. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. John writes, the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who will come after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus pass by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Last month, I was able to celebrate my mom's 84th birthday. And that was a good, great time because I have six other siblings and we all came up. She's in at Rest Haven in, in Holland. And it was a wonderful time. But that was almost one and a half years ago when I had to go, my, my wife and I had to go and pick her up from Mississippi. And because we found out, at least according to my siblings who had visited her earlier, found out she had dementia. And for some reason, I got picked to go get her. I wasn't at the meeting. I wasn't emailed. I wasn't text about it. They just said, Reggie, since you don't live in Chicago, you go get mom. That's not cool for a middle child. (laughs) See, if you raise your hand if you're older, oldest kid, if you're you're the oldest, bless your heart. You you were the R and D of your parents. They were going to make mistakes on you first, and so praise God that you've made it through. You have shown others the way to go. We thank you for your service. Now raise your hand if you are the youngest child, if you're, you're the youngest. Hallelujah, we can't stand you. 
and you probably hear this at every holiday. <laughs> they got away with everything. And they were able to reap the benefits of your experiments by your parents. We thank you for your service. Now, what if, if you're a middle child, raise your hand if you're, you're a middle child. Those hands that were just raised are the glue that holds the family together. They are the ones who are just happy that their parents remember their name and don't go through the whole Rolodex before they get to you. We thank you for your service. I was one of the middle children. I had to go down and get my mom. And when I got down there, she told me in, in unequivocal terms, Reggie, it is nice to have you down here, but I am not going to Michigan with you. This presented a dilemma. I had to try to convince my mom, who had dementia, to get into a van that she's never been to and to drive almost 600 miles to Michigan in order that she may be able to live with me for a couple of months. And then this is all during the pandemic and try to get her into Rest Haven facility in Holland. It was not until that last day when I thought I had my mother pretty much, um, no, I didn't have her. <laughs> she told me, uh, Reggie, it was nice having you down here, but I'm not going. And I was at that point where I'm about to tear my hair out because I'm going to kill my mother. <laughs> until she said, I'm hungry, let's go to McDonald's. See, for the person with dementia, every day is a new day. And I got my mom to go and get into the van, and we took her to McDonald's, and then we drove to Michigan. It was not until we got to Jackson, Tennessee, that she said, where are we going? <laughs> it was then that when I told her the truth of what was happening, I was no longer that middle child. I was that sucker driving the van. And for this very African-American Baptist woman, I, I, I never heard words, uh, cursing words, that I haven't heard uh, for a long, very long time. It was an interruption for my mother to leave Mississippi and to come to Michigan, not knowing anything about what was going to happen to her. I'm sure there was an interruption for those disciples, John's disciples, who says to or hear him say, look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Those were upsetting words for them because John now has to convince them to no longer follow him, but now to follow Jesus. They had to follow a guy they had never, ever followed before. Interruptions are things in our lives that throws us for a loop. And maybe for some of you even here today, you're probably going through some interruptions right now. Maybe there's an elderly parent that you have to convince 
to go into a facility. Or maybe there's a parent you have to convince to stop driving because they can no longer do it. Or, or maybe it's a job that you had for some time and now that job is no longer there. Or maybe it's something with your body that you know that there's something wrong, but you really don't want to find out what the truth really is. All of us go through interruptions in our lives. Some of them we welcome and others we don't. We didn't welcome the pandemic. We didn't welcome having to wear masks. We, we didn't welcome doing social distancing. We didn't welcome that we had to be in pause. We, we didn't welcome all of the things that were happening in those last two years through us for a loop. The author, Bruce Feller, says that the average adult will go through 36 interruptions or transitions in their lives. 36. And of those 36, four will be unearthing, which means you're going to have to go through some major things in which the learning in which you had previously no longer works. What you previously knew no longer works. Isn't that great? So what do you do when you have to learn a new way of how to do life? That's exactly what was happening with John's disciples. They were trying to learn or had an interruption of, they had to learn to do life differently not just only with John, but with a new leader. How upsetting was that? The text tells us that John's got at least seven or eight hours that he has to try to convince his disciples Jesus was indeed the one they needed to follow, the one they said, this is God's chosen one. I wonder what that was like for John that evening. Would you have loved to have been in that little place where he's trying to convince them, uh, I'm no longer the guy, it's somebody else. That had to be a really happy time. How does John convince them that Jesus is indeed the one that they were supposed to follow? I can imagine that John probably had to do some own kind of rethinking about his own life, about his own ministry, and about where he was going to go after this happens. John is experiencing an interruption, a transition. And it is during transitions that we learn the most because it is when our algorithm is actually interrupted that we become really aware that we don't know what we don't know. Has any of you ever been through that? Let me say that again. For the charismatic Christian Reformed people. <laughs> Sometimes we go through that we don't know what we don't know until it happens. That's what's happening in this text. That's what's happening as John is trying to speak 
to these disciples to follow Jesus, who he says is the Lamb of God, who has taken away the sin of the world. I think the first thing that John has to do is that he has to first embrace his role. He has to embrace his role that he is secondary and not primary. Can you imagine what it would be like for you to grow up in a family and that your parents tell you, I like you, but you're not my favorite. Some of you are probably, probably going through that right now. Yeah, I knew that. I saw it every time when they would talk to her this way and me this way. I know we say that parents all love their children equally, but do you? John grew up with probably that. From the very day in which he was born, he was told by his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, you are a very great child, but you're going to be number two the rest of your life. Have a good one. That's what he was told. You are going to be number two. Get used to it. Now, for us Americans, we don't like hearing that. We would love to have center stage at all points and at all times. Because what is better than being number one? John had to live with that through his childhood, through his teenage years. Because you know, he and Jesus were cousins, so they played together. I wonder what Jesus told him when they were playing, when he got mad at him. John, you do know. And all he had to do was give that look, you know that look. The late conductor, Leonard Bernstein, said, was asked, what is the hardest position to play in the orchestra? And he said, oh, that's very easy. Second fiddle. The hardest role to play in anything in life is to be number two. John embraced being number two. I'm sure that's what he told his disciples as he is trying to now transition for them to leave him and to now follow Jesus. And brothers and sisters, that's the role that all of us have. We are always number two. We are always second fiddle. We will never ever be primary because we just sung in these beautiful songs, we are number two. Jesus is umero uno. He's number one. He has to be. Because if he's not number one, then he can't turn beggars into people who have abundance. He can't turn prisoners to be free. He can't make people who have not been redeemed, who have not been saved, who had not been brought out of something that was bad into something good, if we are still number one. Thank God we are number two. We are number two. I want you to go out this week saying that. Why? Because the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, made our lives even possible to be number two. Hallelujah. John 
told him he was number two. I think the second thing that he told them is that it's all grace. It is all grace. John is probably the most cantankerous, obnoxious, and probably not so great person to have a friendship with. He wore strange clothes. He didn't have really great pastoral intelligence. He lived out in the desert, but for some reason he got people to come out into the hot desert, be baptized in the River Jordan, and they loved it. That's like the guy who says, get off my lawn, and he gets a crowd. That's John. And for some reason, he was drawing people to himself. He was probably one of the most successful prophets during that time of Jesus. How else could he get people to follow him into the desert, tell them the truth about themselves, and they said, yep, I want more of that. That's exactly what was happening. And I bet that John, probably in that conversation with his disciples, realized one thing. He realized his entire life was a miracle. His entire life was a miracle. You know, sometimes the longer that we are Christian, we forget that everything in our lives is a miracle. Get a good look at the people right next to you. Seriously, take a look at them. <laughs> You're kind of looking at them like, Miracle, really? <laughs> what if you would have woke up this morning and said, thank you, God, just for waking me up this morning? How many of us did that? That's a miracle. To have people around you who love you despite your idiosyncrasies, despite your little tics and quirks, Despite that some you know, you guys, you leave the toilet seat up, still haven't learned. Despite all those kinds of things, everybody here is a miracle. Very often, I think as Christian Reformed people, especially as Reformed people, we often forget we don't deserve this. It's all grace. Hallelujah. It's all grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a perfect person like me. Oh, that's not how it goes. That saved what? A. Why do we sing that with such fervor? Because it's true. That saved a wretch like you and me. Because in God's economy, we actually deserve the opposite. And I believe that John, during that conversation he had with those disciples, he said that was a better miracle. The one in which the Spirit would come down on and land 
That is God's chosen one. That's the greatest miracle in the world. You have experienced the greatest miracle in the world. I don't know about you, but that gets me happy. What if you this week tell somebody they are a miracle? What if you tell one person they are a miracle? You would probably make their day and they would probably buy you lunch. I think the third thing that John had in that conversation, when he gave the permission to let go, He had been the most successful prophet at that time. The most successful prophet, more than Jesus was. And he told those disciples, I'm willing to let my most successful ministry go. And I'm going to transition that you follow something more successful than me. Wow. Wow. That's like you own Myers and you gave it up. Said, no, I don't need the money. Or think of the most favorite thing that you have in your life and you said, no, I'm going to give it away. That's exactly what John did. He gave it away. He gave them permission. He said, tomorrow, the next time that you see Jesus, I'm going to say these words. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When you hear me say these words, I give you permission to follow. Research says that we get more upset about the things we lose than the things that we gain. Solid research that says that. Do you remember the last thing that you lost and that you didn't want to lose it? How many of you remember that? Only three people. <laughs> Thanks, I wasn't taking a poll. <laughs> All of us probably can still remember the most precious thing that we had to give away. It could be the death of a parent or a grandparent or something that was precious to us that we lost. We grieve more about that than maybe the gains that maybe return to us after that. There's solid research that backs that up. I'm sure John that night grieved about the loss of his ministry as he's telling these disciples, don't follow me anymore. Follow Jesus. My mom had been in Rest Haven for about three weeks. And for a, a month, for two months before that, she lived at my house and turned everything upside down. I had to do two things for her. I had to watch Family Feud with her on the Game Show Network. I watched so much Family Feud, I thought I was Steve Harvey. 
And the second thing that she loved catfish. She's from Mississippi, so I, I had to provide catfish dinners for her three times a week. The person that I got it from remembered me and said, oh, Reggie, let me guess. Catfish, mm-hmm. So I knew when I had to go to visit my mom, I had to take catfish. And I also added some banana pudding, because she loves banana pudding. Us black people, we love banana pudding. <laughs> Even though it gives us diabetes, but that's okay. <laughs> and when I go out, so I brought these to my mom, and she said, thank you, son. And I'm like, oh, good, she didn't call me something else. And after some conversation, my mom said to me, Reggie, Usually when she's mad at me, she calls me Reginald. But she called me Reggie, which is actually affectionate. And she says, thank you for bringing me here. I didn't realize how bad my dementia was. It was too hard for me to admit that I was losing my memory. Very often, Transitions become opportunities in which God wants to grow us in a very different way that we would never accept or even vote for on our own. Very often, God is trying to nudge us to know again that we need a Savior. All of us need a Savior, amen? If it wasn't the case, we would have no reason to be here. You should be on the lake. You should be reading a book. There's a lot of other things you could be doing. Because of the miracle of Jesus Christ, choosing us before the foundations of the earth, and saying, you are my beloved children. I love you so much. You are my miracle. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away not the sins of the world, but mine, yours. Thanks be to God. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the wretch like you and me. See, we all were lost, but thank God he found us. We were all blind, but Jesus gave us some very good eyeglasses to see the miracle that God gives to us. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. Thank you for those transitions or interruptions that you bring into our lives in order to interrupt or disrupt the algorithm of trying to live our lives through autopilot. It is only during those times that we have to reassess, reimagine, and reengage a Savior who wants each of us to see him differently. And maybe we are doing today. 
Thank you for designating us as miracles. All through grace. By the blood of the Lamb. Thank you for the new stories in which you now tell us that maybe other things that we've been following and now you want us to actually follow you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. May we do that this week. And Lord, as you bring people into our sphere of influence, as we become self-aware of how much a miracle we are, that maybe to a neighbor or a friend or a loved one, we may share that word of miracle to them and that they may know that God isn't done with them yet. Lord, we have a story to tell. May we tell that story with all of the grace and vigor and joy that the world is looking for. But make that joy real in us. We thank you in Jesus' name and for his sake. Let all God's people say, amen. amen. Let us stand and sing, I love to tell the story.